in the darkest worlds that ever were. The only thing that brings light are stories. Those stories are kept in one place. The tiny bookcase. Hello, story seekers. I'm Ben. I'm Nico, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. Welcome to the third of four special episodes in our nano season. Now, as you know, in these episodes, we're discussing our progress through NaNoWriMo 2021. We've chatted to some people going through it as well, and today, one of us, oh no, will be reading out a larger snippet from their story. Awesome. We'll also be doing a little bit of workshopping on that piece with some feedback, and then we'll give an update on how things are going generally with the challenge. It's the, uh, it's the optimum word, isn't it? There, challenge. Challenge, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, say, they say that you win NaNoWriMo by writing 50,000 in the month. When you play the game of Remo, you win or you die, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... when, go on. I, I mean, I remember years ago when I first heard about this, I was at uni, I think I think I spoke about that briefly when we were first discussing Nanarima on the podcast. Yeah. And I thought it was some kind of competition because people spoke about winning it. It so it's quite nice to discover that you, you win it by just getting to the finishing line inside the time. Yeah. It's not nice that it's uh not a competition against anyone but yourself. Mm. But I am yeah. my own worst enemy, so fuck it. <laughs> What a vile bastard you are to yourself as oh, well. Oh god, I am in all in all senses. <laughs> Doing terrible things to myself. It's uh I'm just looking at the word count. I am thirty five thousand nine hundred and eighty one. I could have just knocked out nineteen words before we started recording for a tight thirty six K there, couldn't I? You could have that's that feels like an extraordinary amount of words. It is a lot of words. We are we're recording on day on the eighteenth of November, so day eighteen of the challenge. Yeah. So you're a couple of days ahead. Yeah, just about. That's. I, I think it's wicked. I like. I think it's been it's been really good. Um, how the whole, how you've approached the whole thing and how we've approached it and how we've enjoyed it, whilst also finding it a bit hard. Yeah. Um, but I guess we'll get into that later. But um, we we've actually settled who is going to be reading out a large snippet today and getting it workshopped, uh, by rolling dice. This is completely true. Everyone out there, we. Uh... We're so polite, we can't even make decisions without the assistance of fate. <laughs> Random number generators. Um, and uh, Nico lost, or possibly won, the uh, whichever one you want to see it as. Um, lost. Lost, there we go. <laughs> uh, and so he'll be reading out his section uh, today, and then um, we'll probably do one from me for next week. Um, but the idea is to show what it's like to have something that's you know, unedited, just come straight out of the Nanarima writing process, and then possibly what a workshopping session with that piece might look like. Um, so we'll see how it goes. It's a little bit different to how we normally get, go for it, but yeah. um, are you are you nervous to have it like hard work? Not hard workshopped, but like actually receive some feedback. I think so, mostly because I hadn't really gone back and read anything other than the bits we've we've done on the podcast yeah so when we said fi find a bit that we're you're less confident on and you wouldn't mind a bit of feedback on 
I very quickly hit imposter syndrome and thought, I'm not confident on any of this. Well, we'll probably have to go into the impo- that you know that that concept yeah. of imposter syndrome a bit later on after you've read out. But the, it should be stressed that the point of this is to find a bit, that, as you say, that you felt was a bit weaker and needed a yeah. bit of tweaking. Also, I I see it that you don't really have anything to lose. This is a this is a a piece that hasn't been touched. This is this is fresh out of your mind. A piece that perhaps you weren't particularly pleased with. So the words are on the paper, and the only way. You know, it can only be improved from here. And that's kind of the the thrust of the entire point of NaNoWriMo, isn't it? You know, you put, rather than like the snippet that you're going to be reading out today, you put 50,000 words of it, similar level, and then you polish it up into something else afterwards. You turn it into a book afterwards. It's not done by the end. This is just the act of putting words on paper, which is where you're at. You know what, gang? He is this constructive all the time, and it makes it really difficult to... Uh, wallow in my misery <laughs> I can't I've made it. bad life choices I can't, I, I can't stand it when people wallow like I just immediately go into this like problem solving mode I've actually been criticised quite heavily for it in the past so you're not the first stop fixing stuff you, yeah, oh, you prick shut up and just let me vent you fuck get out of here with your WD-40 <laughs> <laughs> right I can't I can't stall any longer let's All let's right. read a piece uh, to give some context for, for where we are in the story uh, at this point, we're joining uh, Edmund, who is a human, Crud, who is an orc, and our goblin friends, Prig and Scab. Uh, there is a second orc with them named Grick, who has been injured quite badly. Uh, if you remember the piece from episode one, one of the Bloodbaum uh, put a branch through his heart, uh, which they still have with them, the branch. Uh, we'll... We find them in a cave that uh, Prig's excellent sense of direction has led them to. Some time had passed. Watches sadly have yet to be invented by anyone in this world, as generally the agreements on what time it is, how to measure it, and whether it's any of your business what the day is up to, have set the timekeeping efforts of the various races to a minimum. A fire licked softly at the deepest end of the cave, which, it turned out, really was very deep. The small bundle of leaves spared from Grick's swaddling, some roots Edmund had seemed to miraculously forage from somewhere, and the still unburned Blutbaum branch that had skewered Grick did their best to light the terrible darkness of the cave, and provided as much heat as could be expected from so paltry a thing. The smell of the festering wound in Grick's chest teased at the edges of everyone's nostrils, save Crud's, whose nose was so full of it. He sat, his hands on either side of Grick's head, and spoke to him softly. You hold on now, all right? We've got important work to do, friend. We've got peace to make. A smile tried to creep its way across Grick's face stopped only by his body's desperation to stop existing any more. Who would have thought it, eh? Grick and Crud, all going and changing things, too small for being the big boys and now being the, the biggest boys of all, thank you very much. He gently stroked Grick's forehead. No more sending our young orcs to be dying at human wars, eh? Imagine, maybe even we can make peace with the dwarves. Crud smiled a weak sort of smile, and a tear rolled over his cheek. 
I need you to be there to help old Crub make it happen. You know, I'm, I'm not so good at all the talking, like. Crick laughed. A real laugh. It never made its way out of his mouth, instead bubbling through the wound in his chest and changing into a hacking, gargling cough. No, no, no. Stop laughing at old crud, eh? Have some sleep, and tomorrow you'll be fit as a screamy music thing. The fire crackled quietly. Grit breathed softly. Prig snored like a lumber mill. Scab oozed. Edmund stood and drew his sword. Crud. Something is coming. Edmund stared warily towards the cave's entrance. It was hidden by the winding depth of the cave. He could hear... Something. Shut Prig up. Quickly. Crud vaulted his injured companion and pinched Prig's nose. Something oozed between his fingers. The goblin woke with a start, and Crud slammed a hand over his mouth. Hush now, expert. Prig's eyes went wide. He was definitely being assassinated. It was always like this with politics. Crud's eyes, however, were narrowed. We is being hunted. With the snoring gone, Edmund could hear it better. A sort of slithering, but with soft footfalls around it. His mind couldn't put together what could make such a sound. And then it rounded the corner. Thrown into sharp contrast by the flickering light of their tiny fire was a fairy tale monster. Its long head swayed back and forth. Its scaled visage turned its great snout to view them with its eyes, which were in the side of its head. A long and shining body seemed to extend endlessly from the base of its skull, tapering into a point somewhere around the corner. On either side of its body, three sets of powerful legs seemed to squat in preparation, cruel three-toed feet flexing at the end of them. A worm, Edmund whispered, in the sort of whisper that fills the room. For a long moment he wished his shield wasn't laying underneath a dying orc. Much better, he reckoned, to have it on the arm of a man looking death in the face. Crud released Prig's face and pausing only to wipe his hands on the floor, softly unhooked his bow over his chest. Prig whimpered softly, but directly into Scab's ear. He awoke with a start and whined, Here, cut that out, it's really loud! Thus was the moment broken, and like coiled lightning, the worm began its lunge towards Edmund. Acting on instinct, Edmund brought his sword up to defend from the oncoming impact. As the worm came close, its jaws spread wide, and instead of facing one sword he could expertly parry, Edmund found himself faced with dozens, and given the thickness of the monster's neck, these weren't going to be turned aside so easily. The force pushed his blade back. Twisting it smartly in his grip, Edmund managed to reduce the damage of the impact against his chest, the flat of the blade clanging hard off of his plate-encased chest. With his shield hand empty, he gripped blindly at the side of the creature's enormous head, looking for anything that may give purchase. With surprise, his hand came upon something wooden. A chanced glance showed Crud drawing a second arrow from his quiver. 
the goblins cowered behind him. More accurately, Prig cowered behind Scab. Or perhaps even more accurately, cowered around Scab. Mercifully, the idea of object permanence is still taken as a mere suggestion by goblins, and as such, Prig had decided that the thing out there was definitely not going to get him, on account of no longer existing. Edmund nodded fiercely. A warrior's agreement struck. For a long instant, he missed his helm. He missed his shield. He missed an amassed force of men at his back. As quickly as it had come, the sensation had passed and the struggle for survival was back in full effect. With a sharp drive upwards, Edwin forced his sword up between a pair of teeth in the beast's mouth, and relinquishing his handhold on the rapidly loosening arrow, he gripped at the sharp end of it he could see rattling on the other side of the terrible fangs. With a roar, he gripped the savage steel and twisted his entire body weight. He felt it bite into the chainmail of his palm. Rings came loose and it found its way through the leather, as though it wasn't there. A hot rush of sticky fluid coated Edmund's hand. In his fervour, he did not notice it. The thing growled with fury as Edmund's Herculean effort was made, wrenching and pulling, his muscular bulk straining in every sinew. He began to twist the worm's head over, exposing its throat to the waiting crud. Now, crud! His bellow seemed to fill the cave the tiny space sending his roar bouncing and reverberating from the walls. The worm warbled a terrified shriek of its own. The pitch seemed to harmonise at moments with Edmund's, before splitting and shattering the air that filled the tiny space. Edmund felt as though his ears would burst from the proximity to the sound. He did not hear, but felt one, then a second arrow thud home. Rather than writhing in pain, or suffocating on its hemorrhaged windpipe, the creature became insensible, gnawing and gnashing its jaws. With a sharp flick, it pushed Edmund left, hard. The wall of the cave came to meet him with titanic force. His bare head struck rock, and with a sigh that could almost have been mistaken for relief, Edmund collapsed into a mound. Suddenly free, the beast rounded on its attacker, spying the thing that had stung it twice. Like a broken riverbank, the thing moved with terrifying pace, and was upon crud in a moment. With all of his effort, he dove, pushing the goblins away from the combat. Run, you idiots, run! His eyes pleaded with them, before exploding wide. He shrieked a high wail as the worm's jaws closed around his calf. With a howl and a series of orcish curses, he kicked at it once, twice, and then, realising it was making no effect, reached by pulling his body tight as a ball for the dagger in his free boot. Seeing the blade drawn, the worm, which was not without intelligence, flung crud as hard as it could away towards the cave's entrance. He landed with an unhappy crunch, and did not move. In a moment of strange, urgent heroism, Prig reached for the knife that the thrown crud had dropped. To him it was a short sword, not a dagger. He levelled it, as he had seen Edmund do, and faced the worm, his tiny heart fluttered like a caffeine-addicted hummingbird. I feel, dear reader, it is important at this juncture to impress upon you the enormity and difference in scale between these two creatures. The worm, at most an adolescent of its kind, was around 15 feet long, and thick as an oak along its full length. 
If in your world you have crocodiles, and if you do, I am so sorry for you, they are truly dreadful things, then imagine one that you could quite comfortably sleep inside, with a friend next to you, another pair of friends at your feet, and a big box of all your things at the end. Then imagine it had great thick legs so that it stood with its head at the height of your average human. Worse still, and this is where a modicum of luck is afforded to our heroes, the fully grown adults are twice as big again and have a terrible tendency of doing unusual things like spewing great gouts of fire all over the place. Some, particularly nasty versions, have been spontaneously known to be born with heaving great wings. Some of the gods, it would appear, just like taking the piss. Scab, on the other hand, weighs less than your average bag of potatoes and has less than 2% of said bag's nutritional value. Yet there he stood, blade outstretched, ready to fight to whatever his loose understanding of the death was. The monster moved slowly, as monsters have a tendency to do when the stakes get high. It's unconfirmed if this is a natural reflex, or if, like most things with a spot of magic in their DNA, they just have a flair for the dramatic. Its neck craned down, and it fixed the goblin with a beady stare, a low growl rumbling from somewhere in its scaly mass. And then, as the light around it began to flicker more aggressively, it looked up. The goblins, due to having almost no sense of self-preservation, and being from a culture that had never invented the old It's behind you! gag, turned to see what it was looking at. Grick was stood. His head hung as though the strength to hold it upright could not be spared. His body was naked from the waist up and drenched all along its left side with thick, black blood. Clutched in his right hand, which smouldered softly, was the blazing bloodbound branch from the fire. The runes in it seemed to burst with furious red light, and its tip glinted in the gloom of the cave. Peace. The word fell from Grick, like another drop of his failing lifeblood. The worm growled in response. Grick's body, in that moment, not only began writing cheques it couldn't cash, but raided the stock exchange and for good measure had martini-fueled sex with a banker's wife on his desk. His head snapped up, the furious light of the orc's famed savagery glowing in them. They seemed to glow brighter even than the runes in his brandished branch. Plumes of smoke began to coil from where he held it in his hand. Peace! He bellowed and pushing his broken body beyond any reasonable limit, barrelled at the worm. The monster didn't know how to react, transfixed as it was by the meeting of its bestial fury. It had been found wanting on the food chain of battle, and was about to pay a very hefty price indeed. As Grick reached it, the worm opened its maw wide, extending to take off Grick's arm at the shoulder. With a heaving leap, Grick slammed his shoulder into the steel wedged sword between the thing's teeth. The steel bit deep into Grick's shoulder, a soft trickle of what remained in him not so much gushed but throbbed from the wound. His heart did not have the strength to fountain a spray, so instead it made do with knowing it didn't have to work much longer. The blade sank upwards into the gums of the worm, and it keened in horror. Peace! roared Grick, bringing his now flaming hand up before the creature's eye. Fear and shock froze it in place, unable to bite down. 
Once! He slammed the wood into the worm's eye. Once! Again, a devastating blow. Jelly oozed from the ruptured eyeball and the thing thrashed in agony. Prince! 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 With every cry of the word, Grick drove the wood deeper in. His arm was now to the elbow in what had once been an eye socket. Both orc and worm began to howl wordlessly, one growing in strength, the other fading rapidly. With a final whimper, the great lizard twitched, and its mind having been breached, fell silent. Grick staggered back. It was only then that he noticed the scores of terrible wounds he'd taken. It had clawed at him mercilessly when he stabbed it. His legs were little more than shredded meat swaddling bone. His left arm, through the efforts of Edmund's wedge sword and the thing's teeth, was almost fully removed. With an effort he turned and fell to his knees facing the goblins. With his working hand he reached out and dropped the smouldering branch from his grip at Prig and Scab's feet. The fire, doused by the worm's lifeblood, had left his arm crisped and flaking away. Peace, he whispered, placing the scorched hand on top of Prig's head before he fell backwards and began to let death take him. I think it's an excellent section. I think it's got it's got so much potential for, to be a really exciting, excellent bit of that book. Um, I said the word shoulder a lot of times in one paragraph. Did you? <laughs> I just noticed reading it back. Oh, it's, I'm saying that a lot. It's such a weird thing when you begin to look back at something that you did just just shove out on the page. You're like, why am I overusing? You know, as you say, shoulder or whatever it is. It's really strange the way that our brains just work sometimes as you're putting something down. Yeah. Um, but that's but that's where we come to the the kind of like you know the editing process, and there are like whilst there are like you know clearly a lot of things that can be improved about the piece that you just read out. Yeah. Um. It's it's undeniable that the fundamentals of it. You know this. Uh, the the relationship between the two orcs, the the fear of like you know what could be around the corner, the description of the worm, the fight with the worm, it's layered, it's interesting, and the story is exciting and moves along. So, at its core, it does what it needs. It does what it needs to do and more. Yeah. And it's it and it's good. There's lots of there's loads of really great bits in it. Um, but yeah, like so, just listening to it now and. Uh, I also read this earlier without your reading, didn't I? This is the first time we've done this on the podcast. Where, yeah, it's very strange. Yeah, where where we've because normally we when we read stuff out that that's the first time the other person's hearing it or even knows what the other person's really writing. Aware of it at all? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've seen this written down. Uh, I can only apologise. <laughs> I, I thought it was. I thought it was. It, it was. Pretty fine. But I think you could definitely tell that you're used to telling stories out loud. Okay. Um, because there's there's loads of good sentences, but a lot of them are run-ons. Yes. Where you end up with these like very long, comma-separated sentences that are incredibly rich. But like and when you when you read them out, they work because you're putting the spaces in, you're erasing them wonderfully in your you know, in the way that you tell stories, which 
is one of the reasons that we do this bloody podcast to begin with. <laughs> um, but on the page, it looks a bit different. And I found as a reader looking at it on a page, I was like a few times, I was just like, you know, you find yourself tripping over commas a bit. Yes. Okay. Um, so that as just like a general bit of like constructive feedback. And I actually think you'd probably get more out of this because if you started splitting those run-on sentences into two or maybe even three yeah. with all the meat that's in them, you might find it starts to tighten up a little bit. Like it's such a simple thing to tighten up and it doesn't require a lot of work to do it. Um, and you might find that there's more description to be found by doing it. Okay. Uh, I, I think that's definitely yeah. a thing that, especially in the edit, is going to have to happen a lot because, yeah. like you say, I'm used to writing for this podcast, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and this is something that w you would catch on a first pass of an edit, so that's totally reasonable. But, like, um, there's a, one thing I would say, like, just on the same point of, like, having seen it written down, the section where you have the simple sentences that give just like a snapshot of what everyone's doing as the time passes. Yeah. That works better on paper than it does being read out. Yes. On paper, that's an, that's a great bit. It's such a, it's a tense moment. You feel like something's coming and these little simple sentences that are paragraphs based so that they're, they, you know, they're, they're almost like bullet points of what's happening for the characters in the middle of this prose story yeah just suddenly gives like a really nice bit of pacing to the passage of time and I, it, it works really well on 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 paper it just looked great and it felt great to read it so that was fantastic so that's sort of like how the two sides of that particular sword you know you know you being used to reading stuff out yeah can work out on paper um i like that you know i, I you know as i said earlier like i really liked this um what do you think of that? I think it's it's a really strange process. Like that that bit where I was consciously thinking, how would this look on the page? And those those broken apart sentences, that was a conscious decision of, oh, I can see this in a book. I can see exactly how this would be yeah. printed, how it should read. And I think that's a good sign because it means I have an eye for what I want it to look like. But yeah. Even just reading it back this time, I thought oh, that that could be trimmed, that could be uh, tweaked, that 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 bit should be longer, that bit should definitely be shorter, and yeah. it's a. I, I mean, it's immediately showing the power of an edit. I think so. Um, um, I, I think, and, and I think we'll see it. You know, when you eventually put this book together and have it edited and have it so somebody can hold it and read it. Yeah, I think people are gonna like hopefully remember this bit and really see what we were talking about because that's an excellent bit um but i can see why you chose this whole section to read out today yes on a, on a bit that's very good but needs work in order to make it work if that makes sense um i think uh, yeah. one of the reasons i particularly wanted to put this in front of you is i you're very good at describing fighting you you do it very very eloquently, and I say that not just from our stories, but from uh, Ben and yeah. I do a lot of role play together, and you've mm -hmm. done it there a lot. And it doesn't come as naturally to me. Character stuff does, but fighting, I don't think I'm quite there. Well, I I would 
you know, in like the nicest possible way, I think I would agree on this because the fight is really exciting. Loads of exciting things happen in it, but it, it is in places quite difficult to follow what's happening. Yes. And there are a couple of inconsistencies in how the fight progresses. Um, so like, for example, there's a bit where the, uh, where crud, the, the, uh, the worm bites crud on the leg, on the calf. Yeah. Um, but we find out later that it's still got the sword inside its mouth. Ah, uh, yes. Um, which would change the way that that description should work if it's been, yeah. if, it, if he's biting the leg. Like, like there's that, that was the main, that was, to be fair, that was the only one that really stood out for me in terms of like inconsistencies. And then other than that, it just felt like you needed an edit just to make it flow smoothly. Yes. And like, as, as I've, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to keep saying it, but basically this is, this is a first draft. And yeah. for a first draft, I thought the fight was pretty clear. I don't think anything that I put out is any, any more clear than this on a first draft. It's all about the edit to like, you know, patiently think, think it through and think, where is the reader at this point? What does the reader know? What's happening in the fight? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's all to come. Um, I think you could do with naming the world. I that's think something I've I've yeah. become conscious of as I've been doing this. Right. And there's been a few times when I've said the world or this world. Or, yes. Because I haven't settled on a name yet. You know, obviously we're not we're not we're never going to get away from talking about Pratchett. Um, yeah. But it is something. You know, him sort of name dropping the Discworld. And then you, the reader builds up in their heads what that means. And it's an act of world building. Yeah. And so every time you refer to the world and something specific inside it, I think you're missing an opportunity to start to build a coherent image of what the world feels like and looks like to yeah. the reader by not naming it. Um, so I would name it. Doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you name it at this stage, I don't think. Um but like, I would, I think you will find it easier to write about the world if you have a name, even a placeholder name for it. Yeah. Going forwards. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's fantastic. Like, you know, we've spoken a bit there about like some of the things that need to be ironed out, ironed out in the edit. But there's also some like fucking phenomenal bits of writing in there, which include, at least as far as I'm concerned, um, the description of the worm. Like I, when I was reading it for the first time, and again when you read it out, I got lost in that description. Not in a bad way, as in like I was stumbling about in the dark, but lost as in like I was inside the narrative. I was in the book. That feeling when you get lost inside a story. I felt like the tension and the description and the character motivations all came together to do that really potent mix that's required for a yeah. reader to completely suspend their disbelief and be involved in the story. Um. I think it's fantastic. Like, you know, that whole stuff about the anything with magic in its DNA uh, innately has a flair for the dramatic. That's a wonderful bit. That's a great turn of phrase and a wonderful bit of world building. Um, and there's, there's, as with everything you write, there's tons of this stuff all the way through it. And it, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see the whole book because you've proven again and again that you can put this in to anything you write. And this tonally this book that you're writing is very much up your street and is a vehicle for something that we know is a strength in your writing and i think, I think this can, was you uh, see it you can just see it on the page and you can see it and you can hear it when you read it out this is an interesting test this bit as well because a, a fight 
and a character dying are, are a difficult place to inject humor. And yeah, it's yeah. it was a, a balancing act, but I I really enjoy doing it because it is at its core a story like this bloody ridiculous. So <laughs> I think leaning into that and allowing my humor to to just go. Yeah, I mean, I think you're possibly selling yourself short a little bit there. Um, like comedy and tragedy, we just—it's a—it's a trite thing to say, but they are innately linked, aren't they? Yeah. And I think by having the the heartfelt moment with the between the orcs at the start, and then this, you know, berserker rage from the dying orc at the end, where he, you know, just gets incredibly fucked up, killing this worm to save his friends and his and his cause. There is a there is a lot of like real heartfelt drama and tragedy in that moment and you walk the line back and forth between comedy and tragedy throughout really well um this doesn't read as silly to me this reads as hot damn he wrote something that you know has serious nuss in it has a strong story and is still funny which is the perfect combination especially for your style um that's why I'm so excited about it. I think this is, you know, this is a really good example of a piece, a bit that clearly needs some work, but has all the hallmarks of exactly what you should be writing in terms yeah. of your style and and what what you can achieve. I think I think it's, I mean, I I am so pleased with it. Like when I read it the first time, I was like, "Fuck, that was good." Um, I've I've got to thank the podcast and you for getting me to a place where I feel that I can confidently write in my own style because i've always had a bit of a chip about oh am i just aping pratchett am i just aping adams am i just but being told no it's okay you're you're good at writing jokes you're allowed to write jokes has uh i, I don't think i could be managing in nanarimo without it honestly mm. i can i can understand that i like i think the you know writing regularly for the podcast has helped me in it in different ways i would say um, but in a similar vein, and yeah, it's really clear that you know you've you've got you've got this you've you know you, you've got such a strong narrative voice that like it really wouldn't take much polishing to 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 take that very you know that first draft that's got rough bits in it and just make it flow really slickly and you're off. Um, Are you trying to make me pay you to edit my book, Ben? <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, you can't afford me. I, I know that's what my next thing was going to be. <laughs> I appreciate the effort, but <laughs> mm. it's right, poss uh... possible pedantry here, right? Go on. My, I, I can, I can feel like wannabe military historians and stuff getting like aggy with me about this one. <laughs> here we go. But like, our, my understanding is that bows are not supposed to be kept strung because they become weaker and weaker and weaker because. Like the the string is just like losing its tension the whole time. They are not meant to be kept strong, as far as I'm aware. Right. But fantasy characters don't unstring them. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think I think that's the rule because even Tolkien didn't describe Legolas restringing his bow, <laughs> and he described <laughs> fucking everything. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Lo, the Urukai right. are upon us, Legolas. Yeah, but. Hang on, bear with you. This is a very delicate process. I just feel like there's a little bit of space in there for a really exciting description of orc strength 
at how quickly they can string their bow because it's a you know it's a it's a full body feat of strength to to string a big bow yeah and if you know if these orcs as is made clear by the like the scale differences that you go for in this section are massive and strong then they could do it quite quickly even on bows that could you know throw a shaft through a man in armor yeah um that was sort of the next thing really like this this idea of scale um the when when the worm bites bites the uh, bites crud its jaws it, it like bites him on the calf yes and that's quite a small uh, you know that's a section of the leg isn't it but the description when the worm leaps for Edmund the human, you get the sense that it's, you know, like it, it, it's it's um its teeth are swords, which means that the whole thing is massive, and we know that it's massive. Yeah. So I was sort of thinking, should he be like, how big are orcs that that this thing is only biting him on the calf when it goes for him? I think that needs a tweak of the description. How I'd imagined it was he dove and pushed the the goblins back, so he was on his stomach. And it had put his mouth sort of around his foot and up his calf. Okay, okay. So it had got him over the end of the leg, if you get me. Yeah, all right. A I, I, little little tweak to that then. I I that, that needs a, yeah. a jiffy. Just, j- just for clarity, just so you yeah. know where you, where you are with it. Um, are you happy with me to carry on with a bit more? I've got, I've got yeah, a few more bits. Go for it. Hurt yeah. me, Daddy. Cool. Um, <laughs> The the line the wall of the cave. Hopefully this this is useful to the for the people like listening that are also doing Nanarimo or just interested in what the editing process is like, because the the way that I'm talking to Nick now is how I talk to myself when I edit something. Um, I try and keep a positive tone in my head about the yeah about the work. I I try to be. You have to be nice to yourself, otherwise you'd never write anything or never edit anything. You just throw oh, it away after reading it. I'll say to everyone listening as well. Yes, it is horrible to edit your stuff because you feel like, oh, I didn't get it right the first time. But don't be ridiculous. Whatever you've done, you've you've already done it, which means you've done more than ninety nine percent of people. Yeah. And editing is just part of that process. I think there's a there's a degree of needing to adopt like a pugnacious attitude with it as well. Just like, just absolutely not gonna back down from it. You know, you'll be damned before it. It, it stays like it is. It, it will get better just by hammering at it with your various tools of editing. Yes. And um, this is one of them. So um, the, the line is, the wall of the cave came to meet him with titanic force. This is when Edmund gets thrown to the side by the worm. Yeah. So generally, it's a good idea, I would say, and I think I, think I read this in something that Stephen King wrote, actually, to avoid the passive voice with your character. And that's when things are being done to your character. Okay. That makes sense. So the fact that the wall of the cave came to meet him, it sort of indicates that the wall is coming to hit. So he's not moving and the wall is coming to meet him. Okay. I see. Oh, yeah, I see. I see. Do you see where I'm going with that? No, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I, it, I think that was the main time it happened, but I think it did happen a couple of other times. So it might be just something worth looking out for. You know, don't second guess yourself whilst you're putting words down. That's not what I'm saying. But like, when you come yeah. back to the edit, like, if you get a bit like that, you can make that more exciting by describing it from his point of view. Like, yes. Edmund smashed into the wall of the cave with Titanic force would be a would be an example of an edit there. 
Yeah, I think it's finding where personification works. So, you know, the, the cave wound as though it was trying to hide someone. You can say it was the cave do it, but yeah, yeah. That, that definitely, I, I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is a physical action happening to a character. So I think yes. it's, like, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think that was all of my, like, in terms of my, like, constructive stuff about the actual writing of it. Um, hopefully you found that constructive anyway. Um, I will also because I think one of the fascinating things about your <clears throat> about the book that you're putting together is that you are adopting this dual narrator stance yes yeah, yeah. where there's like different narr narratorial tones and I, I, I love it I think it's a great idea I think you're doing it really well but uh, having seen it written down I think it needs to have a formatting aspect to it I, I think we spoke about this when we were when you were first discussing with me about how you were going to approach the narration aspect. Yes. Um, so at the moment, what's happening is if it's happening in a paragraph where other stuff is already happening, it's in brackets. So it's in sort of like parenthesis. Yeah. The problem I have with that is that um, you do a lot of like not cutaway jokes. I don't know quite how to describe them, but like you'll say something and then say something pithy about it. Yeah. If you do that already in a par already in parenthesis or already inside brackets, it looks weird. I I don't know how to say it better than that. So, but if you had it in italics, you could put brackets around the things that are asides within the aside. Yes. Okay. And yeah. No. no okay. 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 Sort of see, like th that was, and then and then if you always have it in italics, the reader sort of knows what's coming. Like. And they can get excited about it. Yeah. In the same way that if you see an asterisk after a sentence in Pratchett, you're like, oh, shit, here we go. Or those thick block caps mean death. Or Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, a, that's a good example. Yeah, it's somewhere between the two of those things. Um, because it's really exciting having this breaking of the fourth wall. And it also means that when, you know, you get this anachronistic stuff from the narrator, that it's clear that it's not happening it, it's that's not an awareness that exists inside the world of the story yes so like um there was there are there is stuff about like uh the stock exchange and martinis and ca and caffeine that all needs to be in this fourth wall breaking very highly um sort of characterized narratus italics i think yes just to keep it separate from the main narration that's like the humble narration of just telling the story. And the, uh, I'll have to go back and reinsert it because by the, the points I'm writing now, the narrators always refer to themselves as we. So they, they know they're a collective. Ah, oh, interesting. And I think that's in, uh, this was written uh, sort of a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And I think even in that time, cause you know, because you're writing so often and yeah, so yeah. intensely, it has changed to a point that they do act as a like the narrator voices are getting so even more separate and therefore closer, which is uh, yeah it, it will mean going back through and tweaking it, but I think that's definitely worth doing i I, I think it's really like you're you're pulling it off seemingly effortlessly, but it is fairly mind bending the concept that you're writing something with two narrators and they and then. <laughs> And the sort of position of the narrators is inherently different. And also the way that they speak to the audience is in a different style. 
but they're both talking about the same story. <laughs> it's fucking lovely, and I think it's it, it works on the page, and it works when you read it out. So I, yeah, I just I think you could do yourself a favor by making it clear. Yeah. I think we'll have a play. We'll do some different formatting, and I think it'd be good. I think what, italics yeah, may be a good way. Italics or bold or you know just comic sans. <laughs> comic sans. Oh, have you seen on that actually? Like you know weird formattings and stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, bugger! I'm gonna not remember the name of the book, the Irvine Welsh book, um, with the tapeworm. Right. Oh my god! How is this not in my head? <laughs> what it's called. It's is it is it filth? That's the police one, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. a tapeworm, hasn't he? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. It's filth. It's filth. It's filth. Okay. So on the page, um. The it, you know it it's, it it does something very different to what you're doing, but similar in the sense that there are two narrators. Yeah, because the tapeworm begins to grow across the page, and it actually blocks out the rest of the story and and starts to get bigger through bits of the story, and then the bits inside the tapeworm shape are told differently. That's mad. Yeah, it, it it's really cool. I like that a lot. That's that's some House of Leaves stuff, isn't it? So I think I, I'm not saying do anything quite that drastic here, but something along those lines would be to make it really clear that something fucking weird is happening. Just making notes. Get a tape one. Get a tape one. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean I, I'll I'll give you my copy of Filth next time you're here, so you can sort of you can see it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's worth taking a look and seeing how other people are doing because it's it's not common what you're doing here. I wouldn't say. So it's worth having a look at when what other people have tried to do something similar. On December the first, when I've gone mad and you find me smeared in excrement in a dark room, you'll know why. <laughs> I'll just be super impressed. I think if I find you like that, I'd be like, oh, cool, he suffered for his art. Find <laughs> <laughs> um, me in the post room with string on the wall. <laughs> Oh, Charlie Day is my hero. Right. <laughs> the the only final thing I'll say about the narrator stuff is that I want more narration, um, little asides about the other people that aren't goblins. So if he's like quite condescending and kind of like pissy about the goblins and at their outlook, I kinda wanna see him that the narrator I'm, I've given the narrator agenda there, I no idea, but I wanna see the narrator also occasionally have their tongue firmly in their cheek when they're talking about the the seriousness with which the humans see the world. and So that is also a thing that has started happening. It definitely has a big crush on Edmund. Right, cool. There we go. That, and, oh, that's wicked. Uh, there's, you know, they, we get stuff later where they were talking about how Edmund is the archetypal hero. Isn't, isn't he handsome? And But then the other narrators, but yeah, but he's happy about bloody everything. <laughs> and that's just not realistic. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. I think that's where it gets fun when the sort of the positions of the narrators invert because one of them doesn't like a character that the other one does and mm -hmm. I, I, Oh, why am I doing this to myself? <laughs> I, it's, it's intense, but I'm 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 watching it happen with great delight, so I'm okay with it. Um <clears throat> Yeah. The uh the that juxtaposition the way that that it ended, you know, the contrast between the uh the orc shouting peace as it beats a worm to death with a burning brunch is great it like there's not really much else to say about that it's just a really cool dramatic big fun moment yeah um i really liked it 
I thought it was good, and I thought it worked with the way that the you know the story had characterized the pair of orcs that were in this scene, and um, mind being you know mind breached, yeah, as to sort of show that the the brain of this thing had been pierced by this branch is a fantastic telephrase. That was it; just worked. I've I've butchered it a little bit there by taking it out of context, but there's just so much good stuff in him and I like I want to see more of it and I think most of the stuff that I've gone over here you would have caught anyway on a first pass edit um, I don't know man I'm pretty lazy <laughs> <laughs> but this is the point of this is an it is an example of what thought you know a bit of feedback about a section would look like and how that might influence an edit um, and I think that's all I've got to say on it so I hope I didn't hope I didn't bore you there but no no I, it's, it's really interesting to get because obviously I read it back to myself for the first time this afternoon mm. and so to immediately get another perspective on it is super helpful I recommend everyone out there if you've got a friend you can trust share your share your work get a second opinion don't scratch it it was fresh you've always got a you've always there's always a fear in doing that isn't there because well for a start people should just get over the fear of sharing their work I think you know that's something I've struggled with definitely um and to a certain degree, you just need to get over yourself and just give someone something that isn't perfect yet because you need a bit of help. That's fine. You're allowed to ask for help. Um, You're not. I'm not, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, at least that's what I say to myself in my head. But then eventually... You, you remember what the policeman said, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> you specifically are never allowed to call us again. <laughs> Came to your school, primary school, said, remember, it's always all right to ask for help, except you, Benjamin Holroyd Dell. I've actually got a story to tell you about that, but I'm going to have to oh, tell you off mic. Oh my God, I'm so yeah. excited. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> right, let's move away from that because that's good. <laughs> well done for cock teasing our entire audience. So, <laughs> my, my, my bad, my bad. All right, let's keep you in the, in the gloom then, seeing as you've just been a bad boy. You missed a day, Ben. I did. Yeah, this is. I. 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 I, I fully don't really yet understand what happened. Now, I think it's fair to say that I've actually been crushing this challenge. Mashing, um, yeah. Like, you're supposed to write 1,700 words or thereabouts a day, and you end up with 50,000 at the end of the month. Fairly simple. I've regularly been writing somewhere between two and 4,000 a day. So the word count is just slipping past. I'm having no trouble with it. The Saturday just gone, so this would have been you know, inside the first two weeks of the challenge. Um, just had a bit of a bit of a weird day. And I forgot to fucking write. I, uh, I had a, I had a plan with some friends to go out and take, you know, we watched, uh, watched some live music and that kind of stuff. And I realised when we got there, I just, it just popped into my brain. You haven't done your writing for the day. You haven't hit your word count. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because we're, we're spending so much time sort of thinking and talking about this. Yeah. And then, but it's so easy, but you know, if you're getting on with stuff in your day, even if you're not getting on with stuff, the amount of times with other things I've thought, oh, I don't really know what to do with myself. And, you know, just out of shot, the camera pans over and there's a load of shit that is well overdue. Mm. Yeah. But it's, it's, I, yeah, it's really bizarre. I, I, I just felt like I, I, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to like put across exactly how weird a sensation it was that this thing that I've been doing every day for two weeks up until that point just wasn't in my brain as something that I was doing that day. 
it was almost like a little bit of like self-defense from burnout just in my yes um and i did not do it intentionally and i ended up you know locked into a you know a gig that we were attending and i didn't have enough time left in the day to do the writing Uh, you know bar bar leaving what i'd turned up to go to i wouldn't have been able to do it that day by the time that i realized and it was like my brain suddenly was like okay now you can realize that you fucked up um what a real shame about it even though you were so far ahead with the way the badges are set up on nanorimo <laughs> it means there's a couple you'll miss out on now yeah I, yeah I legitimately think that's a shame oh uh, well i i don't know it's it happened um but i think one of the reasons that it's cool to talk about it now is that i didn't let it you know spiral into a oh i fucked up oh i, I missed one badge that you know I, therefore i you know the whole thing starts to lose its meat. You know, that didn't happen. Yeah. I didn't spiral after it. The next day, I just wrote a lot of words and then I wrote and then I carried on writing. You know so what, Gan? I, I, I think he did it on purpose to let me try and catch up a bit so that the victory over me will be oh so much sweeter. But then if I was doing that, I wouldn't have written four and a half thousand words the next day, which is what I did. Um, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, so clearly I tried to make it up, but. I just, for whatever reason, I just wasn't there. And, it, you know, I guess that shows the way that my burnout works, this idea of... It was so weird. I, I, I tried to explain it to you at the time, didn't I? I was just, I didn't yeah. understand what happened. But there we go. So my streak got broken and um, I missed the day. And overall, it hasn't really affected the word count. So I guess the thing to take from it is that don't get fucked off at yourself over on that shit, yeah. what yeah don't get caught on or up with a problem that you've made for yourself you know if you need to take a day to do something else go and fucking do it and then come back the next day and be ready to ready to commit again and go again adjust your goals you know i actually wouldn't suggest doing what i did which was make up the word count the next day yeah um because i think that's too much pressure to put on yourself um I think as and soon I'm as you start trying to play catch up, you're just going to hurt yourself. Yeah, definitely. So you just need to adjust your overall word count. Fortunately, the website does it for you if you want, if you're using the stats page. Yeah. So you can just be like, oh, I just need to write an extra 50 words for the rest of the month every day. And then I'm, it's fine. Yeah. So yeah. So hopefully, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that everyone that's ever done NaNoWriMo has encountered some version of what I just described. I mean, the, the burnout is real. The burnout is definitely real. I, I, th- I mean, I've spoken to you about it off, off mic, but I'm getting to a point now, sort of three weeks in, where I am saying to myself all day in an almost abusive way, you need to write, you need to write, you need to write. And I'll be at work where I don't, you know, I can't write. Yeah, and I'm telling yeah. myself off for not writing. And that's, that's such just, an unhealthy thing to do. That's so much emotional energy that you're putting into berating yourself at a time when you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Like that's just not useful to you. Um, and I'm also aware that that's not a very helpful thing to say <laughs> about that, <laughs> but like it, you know, it, that's, you, you can't be doing that to yourself. That's no, that's not what this is about. It's about building a habit and you don't want to be building a habit. That's beating yourself up whilst you're at work. No. Cause yeah. that, that won't happen. In a good way for you. So I, I don't really know how you're fit. Well, you're taking part in a few of them, but my my counter to this 
along with uh, some of our friends in our group that we're writing with, has been uh, doing writing sprints. Now, I know we've had guests talk about them before. Mm. We have a friendly little Discord robot called Sprinto. Uh, Sprinto uses too many emojis and is therefore a Gen Z robot, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no one needs to do that many apples. What are you trying to tell me, you pervert? But <laughs> the... I had no idea you felt so strongly about emojis. <laughs> so it's because I'm bad at them. I'm re- I, I never get them right. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it this time, and I'll, I'll send some emojis. And someone will say, "Why are you telling me that you're horny and want some special fried rice?" And I'm like, "What did I? What did I do?" They're like, "You used the wide eyes face, and then you used an egg and I don't know a rice. It's like you peach, and then the water splashing." <laughs> yeah, like they're like, "Is that right?" <laughs> How, how am I to know oh that God, an, we sound so old. We need to an stop aubergine this. is a no, penis? No. I can't. I can't take the feeling of feeling that old. We need to end a bit of this conversation. So, but yeah, so sprints for for anyone out there who's not sure. Uh, you set a timer, and this on this app you say right uh, sprint thirty. That's thirty minutes. Uh, the way we've been doing it, we stick a playlist on, and then everyone mutes their microphones and buggers off until it sends some more emojis at us. But what you do at the end is you, you stick in how many words you manage to power out in that half an hour. And then it it does a table and it shows you how many words per minute that is. And it's an absolutely brilliant tool for me in terms of killing off that anxiety and just making me do it. Yeah, there's an element of like mind blankingness, if that's a word, to to doing a sprint. Because a timer starts... And then something in your brain just says, you just got to write. You Better get on, yeah. You just got to get on. And, uh, and it works. It pulls words out of you so fast. It's, it's unbelievable. Unreal. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're always good words, though. Not um, always. <laughs> like, I, you know, I think we spoke about this a little bit with Ross Young, like, but, and, and Ben Langley to a, to a degree. But you sort of know when you're trying to hit a word count during a challenge like this. Yeah. When you, if, if you know if you're overwriting something and it's padding, um, I feel like sprints encourage that a little bit more than normal writing style, like you know, at your own pace writing. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they also just get you to type, and it and it's often when I find when I'm typing that I suddenly realise what I want to be talking about, and then and then the wheels start spinning, and then you have something worth worthwhile. So. Definitely a double-edged sword. I think different yeah. per- different personalities take to it in different ways, depending on how competitive you are or um, how like socially orientated you are, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's a really cool thing to do. You don't need to do it through Discord. There's a timer on the website as well. Yeah. Uh, or you just you could do it. You could do it if you were a lucky person that can meet up with their their writing group. Yeah, because you could get thirty egg timers, <laughs> each one minute long, and employ someone to flip them. <laughs> Hourglass flipper. Ooh. Anyway, it, it, it was good. The, we've been using sprints a lot this week, and I think um, we've been seeing the word counts rise rapidly with them. I think possibly if there was some kind of middle ground, that would be perfect. What I like about it is I get really worried that, oh, I, I don't know what to write, and then I can sit and look at a page for 15 minutes and not write anything. But I've a couple of times gone into these sprints saying, 
uh, I don't know what, what chapter to write. And I will go on Mike and say it today. Ben was like, don't put that on me. That's not, that's for you. Oh yeah, I should stop saying this out loud and just do it. But, <laughs> um, you know, I, the, the timer starts and I think, well, I've just got to write it. And it's so, you know, if I'm writing normally and I'm just cracking away, I'll, I'll check my messenger and if my phone vibrates. But sticking on a pair of noise-cancelling headphones, blasting some fantasy music in my ears and just saying, this half an hour is writing time, mm. has done a fantastic job of just making me do it. Uh, yeah. I do wish there was a, a way I could do it that didn't involve blocking myself out from the word and possibly diarrhoeing <laughs> not particularly great stuff out but not to, it, that's not what Nanarim was about so let's get it out and then edit it aggressively until it is good I totally agree and I think it's um, it, it's, it's a tool that people can and should use like even if you've never done it before then you should try it just do a 10 minute one have a go see if it sparks something in you because if it is yeah. if it does that's great yeah, that's true, actually. We, we've done them for 30 minutes. We've done them for five minutes just to get some words out. Um, nine hours. Nine-hour sprint. <laughs> More of a marathon than a sprint. <laughs> so generally, um, where are we at the moment in terms of the project, just to give people an update? So this is day 18. This is November 18. Yes. You mentioned earlier you were on 35, I think? Uh, just 36. 19 words under 36. So you're 36K. <laughs> Yeah. So just to put that in perspective for everyone, if Nico had been just hitting the word count of the challenge every day, he would have just over, very slightly over 30,000. So he's currently 6,000 ahead of the word count required to finish this challenge on time, which is really cool. Um, how, how do you look at that and not think, oh, I could take a couple of days off? I think it's... 99% of it is knowing myself well enough to know that I cannot just take one or two days off. That I'm in a position where I'm really enjoying this. But the second I stop, yeah, I will find it hard to start again. Yeah, yeah. It's the sort of flip of what I was saying earlier about if you need to take a day, take a day, isn't it? Yeah. Um, there is a degree of self-care to it, but there is also, you know, it's that classic Sam Vimes thing, isn't it? Like, if you'll if you'll take a take a you know if you'll miss one for a a good reason, you'll miss it for a bad reason. Whilst mm -hmm. that's a very extreme way to look at it, I think there's a middle ground to be found between these things, which is like really assess. If you're ever in a situation where you have got a bit of a cushion, you're like, oh, I could just take today off. Really assess if that's what you want to do because you're feeling what for want of a better word lazy yeah or like like it would be a it would be a little bit uncomfortable to write today if legitimately you cannot write and you know it's going to be garbage and you just don't want to even look at the words on the page then maybe start thinking about taking the day or taking half a day off or whatever you want to do or just writing half the word count that you need, something like that but like i had a day um this week so after the after the stuttering miss on uh, the previous Saturday, where I felt like that, and I yeah. forced the word count out of myself, and it was 
completely shit. And I I knew it was shit when I was writing it. And I, I left feeling really angry about having yeah. written it. And I was pissed off at myself. And I was pissed off about the challenge. And I was, because I didn't need to write, you know, I have this, because I'm currently on um, nearly 39,000 words. So I've got a few days cushion as well. I have this cushion. I didn't need to write that day. And ultimately, what I wrote that day wasn't particularly useful to me or the story. And yeah. I got really angry with myself about it. So maybe I should have taken that day off. You know, it's it's difficult, but yeah, it's it's how we're trying to manage think, our own mentalities and personalities in, in what is effectively an endurance challenge. I think there's a big driving force as well of... I've been reminded lots of times by yourself and, you know, some of our guests who are published authors <laughs> that uh, 50,000 words a book does not make. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'll hit 50 and then hopefully I'll do that before the end of November and I'll be able to push myself to keep going for the rest of the month. Because while the challenge is running, I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's just convincing myself to get it done. <laughs> That's... The long and the short of it, really. I think so. Um, you know, you could find, especially if you've got a few days cushion and you're expected to finish, you know, November 24th or something, <clears throat> you know, you could get 60 fairly easily. And then I I think after looking at a first draft of a piece that you've written, you know, the piece that you, re- that you read out today, I think you're going to find that your word count inflates when you edit. Yeah. And for for good reason, you know, for adding in extra bits of fun narration which are the gems of the story yes and you know making the making the combats flow a bit more and it, it's going to take more words to do that so i wouldn't yeah. think to yourself like oh shit i've got to the end of my story and it's only 55,000 words i feel like you're easily easily going to add just by editing and getting swept away in edit 15,000 words to the story crikey it's, you'll you'd be surprised how quickly that can just happen. Like you've seen how you know how quickly you wrote fifteen thousand words for this project in a yeah. short amount of time. Like for myself, I'm thinking in December I'm going to spend the whole month editing it, trying to be as strict with myself about editing as I have been with writing words in November. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if something happened like that. Same thing with me. In some places, and then in other places, I just sh- savagely cut things. Um, of course, of course, because you've got to be a bit masochistic. Um, it's in terms uh, of, go, go on. on, yeah. No, you go ahead. Man. I was just say, in terms of what you've got, yeah. Are you at a point yet where you're you've got kind of the whole framework of the story down, and as each day comes, you're thinking, "What do I want to expand?" Or are you? Still doing some stuff chronologically. Like where where are you at? Um, I'm just in the last few days at a stage where I have the entire framework in for yeah. the first time. Oh, amazing! Um, and I'm so I think we've spoken about it before. Um, I'm I'm obviously doing this challenge this time. I'm writing fifty thousand words. This is a project that I've been like working on for a while. It was a in total, the project was at about one hundred and thirty thousand words before I, like near near start near the start of this month. I then cut about fifty thousand words out of it and threw them in the bin. It's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> um, 
Uh, probably more than that, actually. I think I think it was way more than that. Um, so with the words that I've written so far this month and the words that I've chosen to keep from the last time that I was writing on this, um, it's at 95k. Yeah. Um, and I've got about 10,000 words left of this NaNoWriMo. So it's going to end just over 100k. So I'm going to have to be quite strict with myself in the edit. But the framework is in the place. <clears throat> and I'm now realising where I need to go back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting you smoking guns and that sort of thing. <clears throat> A lot of them are already there. I just didn't yeah. realise they were smoking guns when I wrote them. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. I like when you think, oh, that thing I put in earlier, just as a detail, what if I... That yeah. would make so much sense for it to be important here. Yeah, yeah. You might. Oh, man. oh, that's <laughs> like, the thing that fell on their head. Cool. Like, oh, people gonna think me smart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh. I, I, I've got my my weird list of broken English chapter concepts that I just <laughs> sent to you the other day. The same thing, like prigmeg peace talk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Do you, do you employ a tool like that, or are you just clever enough to remember your own story <laughs> that you're making up? Um, I I do some bits of both. I think like I don't do chapter headings and like um, little little descriptions of chapters that I want to write like you do. Yeah. Um, I do if I think of a good bit of description that I think is integral or a good way to take a character, I'll write that down. Um, I'm also keeping a glossary of words and places and characters Yes. as I go, which I found to be incredibly useful. That's a tool that I've fully stolen from Robin Hobb. I, uh, I have a similar document with the characters. Yeah. The, the world-building document. Yeah, if they yeah. Get, like they do something or say something that indicates mm -hmm. a personality trait that gets added, there's a little pantheon of the gods I've made up in there. Yeah, exactly. So every time I say, oh, I just want to make a joke about a god, I write them down. Because <laughs> yep. I might want them again for some yeah. reason. You never know. But like, if you didn't do that, can you imagine how much work you'd have to do to go back through your work? Oh my god. It'd be, it'd be a fucking nightmare. So I do that, definitely, because I think that's just... You, you're stopping yourself from fucking yourself over by doing that. Yeah. Um, but I also sort of subscribe to the theory that if something is good enough when you have an idea, it'll stay in your head. Yeah. In terms of storytelling. So I kind of try and keep it free flow and try to hold hold the whole story in my head. Yeah. Um, But I cheat a little bit occasionally when I'm like, oh, I'm definitely writing that down. <laughs> I guess what we're saying here, gang, is... Everyone does it differently. Don't assume that because you're not writing your story in the inverted commas conventional way or in the same way as your mate Susan who's writing a story or whatever, just just write. There's no right. correct way to... Well, actually, there are wrong ways to write. I'm looking <laughs> at you, the internet. But, <laughs> but, you know, if you're doing it... Even then, it depends what I'm you're doing proud of you. for. You know, yeah. like... This I I love the idea of people going out there and writing stories. I love storytelling as a as a as a fundamental part of humanity and the way that humans should interact with each other. Storytelling is so important for everything. I I think like like not trying to get high minded about it or anything, but I think it's it's been vital in human history for like passing on information. Yeah, and I think it's also great at like communicating values and 
uh, emotions and awarenesses that allow us to stretch beyond ourselves into something else. That's why it's so intoxicating getting stuck into a book. Because you just your mind is being stretched in a way that it couldn't possibly be stretched in your day to day life. Humanity wouldn't be where it is without straddled by the Stegosaurus, is what Ben is saying. <laughs> There's a place for everything in it, including all that like weird fucking erotica that knocks around on the, in the internet. Oh. Somewhere, someone's getting off on that shit, and that's fine. I've got a real question about that. You, uh, <laughs> without checking. So you've got those books like Ravaged by the Raptor, Taken by the Tyrannosaur. Do you reckon the Pterodactyl <laughs> those one? Titles. Those are real books. Oh my god. Okay. Um, <laughs> I might have to rescind my previous statement. These are real books. Um, I wonder if there's a Pterodactyl one, and if there is, if it's a P or a T word that they. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be a T word. Like it'd it, have to yeah, flow. Pursued by the Pterodactyl isn't quite as good as. No. I don't know. No, be <laughs> trampled by the pterodactyl. Tarnished by the Tarnished. <laughs> oh no. Uh, well, I guess we find out what you're doing next November. <laughs> if I could write fifty thousand words on someone having a sexual experience with a pterodactyl, <laughs> I'd be more powerful than Stephen King by now. <laughs> I would I think I would if you managed it though, like some kind of like pulp hollow earth expedition adventure book that involves someone getting fucked by a pterodactyl as like a pivotal plot point like journey to the center of my anus or something <laughs> <laughs> that can be the subtitle <laughs> oh, tarnished, tarnished by the pterodactyl book one journey to the center of my anus <laughs> book two escape to africa that's a, that's <laughs> the rules desperately trying to get out <laughs> Oh. Uh, it's my Madagascar tie-in. It's going to make millions. Do you know what? I, <laughs> I think we've come off the rails now. Should we've we we've these, finally come off the rails. Should we let these people go. I, I think so. Um, but like, generally, we are on track, if not more than on track, with the challenge. It, we've had our ups and downs with it, and you, you've seen a bit of uh, a bit of work, and also how at least my editing and feedback brain works. And hopefully next week you'll see how Nick's editing and feedback brain works. When I read something out that shit. Come back next week to see me go, that word, could it be more wordier? Or maybe <laughs> maybe like more long than it is. <laughs> Fucking A. Right. You brilliant. can find us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, seeing as we don't have a guest to say that. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you there. We'll see you soon, gang. <laughs> see you soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast, well, magic can only take one so far. The Tiny Bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a Magnificent Beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. 
for rich ginger tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ooh-la-la How's Your Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?